Welcome to Pop Culture Legends, a mini-series from Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast. Pop Culture Legends explores the spaces in between mainstream and esoteric across the world of media. There's a lot to unbox across video games, movies, TV, and comic books. We hope you enjoy the spaces in between those spaces. Today we explore a bizarre hijacking of two Chicago TV stations that confused and creeped out their viewers on a Sunday night in 1987. Decades of speculation surround this bizarre signal intrusion, as well as equally baffling authorities as to who committed it. This unsolved case lives on 34 years later, creating a rabbit hole that has perplexed investigators, Reddit, and independent researchers. If Max Headroom is no longer a household name, that's largely due to the fact that he graced TV screens almost four decades ago. He was a fictional British artificial intelligence character created by George Stone, Annabel Jankel, and Rocky Morin. Individuals, who at the time, were all involved in either directing television, music, or music videos. The character of Max Headroom was written to be witty, have dry delivery, and stutter. He was, after all, AI and not a real person. And technology wasn't perfect. Who was Max Headroom exactly? He was a character played by actor Matt Frewer, largely being used as a marketing device that led to an original film called Max Headroom, 20 minutes into the future, and a TV series named after the character in 1987. The subject matter of Max Headroom largely revolved around a futuristic dystopia where television networks controlled society, a prediction doesn't seem too far off given today's media-driven entertainment. Eh, we digress. But Max Headroom made these claims several generations ago. Unfortunately for Max Headroom, his series would not be able to sustain ratings that had initially kept it on air. CBS at the time had a popular show named Dallas, a 1978 drama that would dominate pop culture until 1991 and would later be rebooted in 2012. Despite Headroom's style as the quote-unquote first cyberpunk television series, his potential for several spin-offs and media tie-ins would really be seldom used ever again, until an appearance in the 2015 film Pixels. The popularity of Dallas, it would seem, would keep Max Headroom from finding a bigger audience. Little did U.S. audiences know that Max Headroom would appear in a far different fashion outside of his network show in 1987. He would be the topic of many confused residents of Chicago, Illinois, on the evening of November 22nd. Those observing WGN-TV's evening newscast would be greeted by a hijacking during its sports segment, where an unknown individual appeared donning a Max Headroom mask. The unidentified individual wore sunglasses with a disorienting, corrugated background one similar to what would appear behind Max Headroom during his TV show. Before WGN-TV even knew what hit them, the hijack segment was over, lasting only about 25 seconds until engineers changed their broadcast frequency. During this short time, however, the hijacker would dance radically across the screen, featuring a buzzing noise throughout his performance. It's unknown whether exactly this noise was due to the hijacking itself, or if it was intentionally placed by those responsible. Regardless of its intention, at 9 p.m. on a Sunday, this intrusion disturbed audiences 
and baffled WGN producers. With nothing to do but carry on the broadcast, WGN anchors did their best to finish out the show and wrap up their coverage. Specifically, WGN sports anchor Dan Roan stated to the camera, Well, if you're wondering what's happened, so am I. Hours later, however, around 11.20 p.m., Chicago's PBS affiliate WTTW would experience a separate hijacking of its own, roughly three times as long as the previous attempt. This time, however, the mask wearer had far much more to say, particularly towards WGN itself. He referred to WGN as all the greatest world newspaper nerds, since WGN itself stands for world's greatest newspaper. Perhaps he thought he was being witty. In addition, the masked man made references to Coca-Cola, WGN anchor Chuck Swirsky, all while the disorienting background continued from the earlier broadcast. He went on to hold up his middle finger inside of what many have theorized was a hollowed-out dildo. If that weren't enough, he pretended to defecate on screen, as well as sharing a pair of dirty gloves with his quote-unquote brother, who possibly was off-screen. The most visually confusing portion of the video, however, was saved for its conclusion, as the masked man would expose his buttocks to viewers while being spanked with a fly swatter by an unidentified woman. Unfortunately for PBS, there were no technicians available at the time of the hijacked broadcast, and shocked viewers expecting to see Doctor Who instead witnessed this escalatingly strange series of events. Paul Rizzo, air director for PBS at the time, stated that, as the content got weirder, we got increasingly stressed out about our inability to do anything about it. Put yourself in Rizzo's shoes. The possibility for this to even get out of more control had to be terrifying. Unfortunately, for WTTW, they were left helpless, with no choice but to view the pirated broadcast in its entirety until the hijackers ended the signal after about 90 seconds. Two separate TV stations, two hours apart, two creepy unidentified broadcasts. So what happened next, you might ask? Well, naturally, with phone calls and letters of disturbed viewers wanting answers, the leaders of WGN and WTTW also demanded an explanation. What authorities were able to determine was the level of sophistication needed to hijack the signal required either an insider knowledge of the technology or an extensive level of expertise to know exactly how much transmitting power was needed to perform this prank. The technology of 1987 was before that of the digital signals TV stations broadcast from today. With analog signals as the primary method of the time, the hijacker's method of performing the stunt involved sending microwave transmissions. These simply overtook those of the TV stations themselves. The broadcast towers were simply overpowered by the hijacker's signal, and the TV stations would have had no defense but to shift their frequencies or alternatively have higher transmitting power. Investigators theorized that the pilot broadcast had to have been performed fairly close to the broadcast towers themselves in Chicago. Their findings pointed towards needing to have a line of sight to the actual locations of the TV towers, which at the time were amongst the tallest in Chicago's downtown area. Regardless of the method used, many wanted answers, 
and the violations themselves carried a $100,000 fine and a minimum of one year in prison. So what came next, you might ask? Unfortunately, very, very little in terms of actual answers as to why this occurred. Everything about this case became a dead end, and only theories were left in the wake of confusion. Investigators came up with a few that might seem compelling. Perhaps a former employee that wanted to get back at WGN. Others hypothesized that the underground hacking community of the time, think anonymous, but of the 1980s, could possibly be at fault. None of it could be proven, however, leading to the motivations and the parties involved to remain unknown ever since. As police interest waned, the internet decided to continue the pace. Online detectives would revive the story on a Reddit post roughly 11 years ago titled, I Believe I Know Who Was Behind the Max Headroom Incident. The first-hand account tells a story of an aspiring hacker who lived in Chicago during this time period, roughly between 1985 to about 1993. The Redditor's name was B. Pogue, and goes on to tell a story about friends he had made during his stay in Chicago, spending long nights in chat rooms, and occasionally meeting friends from these systems in real life. On one particular evening in 1987, B. Pogue attended an apartment party where whispers of something big would go down that evening. Our Redditor would listen in as the chatter continued that the big something would impact Channel 11, which would be one of the two stations impacted by the intrusion. B. Pogue remembers that he tuned in after getting home and saw the Max Headroom incident, but never thought to connect the dots from what he had heard earlier. The suspects that our Redditor thought could have committed the crime were indeed brothers, and based on the incident, we know that the mask-wearing prankster also refers to having a brother while he's on screen. As Beepo continues to tell the story, one of the brothers in question bore similar movements in swaying back and forth, just like the mask-wearer did in his erratic fashion. These details would be collected and uploaded on Reddit as independent researchers would also fact-check the author. In 2013, a fellow Redditor investigates locations, details, and individuals they thought might be the ones referred to by Beepogue. Not only could these details of the story be verified, but it seemed at least for the time being that the case was also close to being solved. Unfortunately, in 2018, Beepogue and other online contributors sat down with engineers from WGN and WTTW to discuss the likelihood that their amateur pranksters could be responsible. Throughout this process, they discovered that based on the technicians and engineers' input, the possibility that someone outside of these organizations being responsible was close to zero. Our investigative editor didn't elaborate on details, but apparently involved technical limitations and equipment scarcity that would prevent it from being possible. Needless to say, the engineers involved thought whoever performed this stunt was well-connected in the broadcast community. As far as Beepog was concerned, despite the circumstantial evidence and coincidences, even he had reached a dead end after over a decade of trying to find answers. Shockingly, this captivating series of events ends here. Despite the best efforts of local authorities, private investigators, 
and the best Redditors the world can muster. A bizarre case that makes less sense the longer it goes unsolved, inspired by motivations that we may never know. To quote Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, some men just want to watch the world burn. And with that, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pop Culture Legends, a digital dissection mini-series. Be on the lookout for future episodes as we explore the relative unknown. It's some of the best stories lie just outside mainstream periphery. If you like this short story, why not like, subscribe, and comment as part of the Digital Dissection community. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, as well as our dynamic content on YouTube. Tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, keep on dissecting. And watch out for British AI on your nightly news. <laughs>